What's up, everybody? Welcome to another week of the Bible Boys. My name is James. And I'm Pip. And it is a Wednesday mm. afternoon at college. We've just had lunch, just played some cricket. Uh, what did you have today at college? I had two hours of doctrine. That was my main class. Okay. But in the morning, I've been, I don't know if I told you this, I've been running a Hebrew translation group. Oh, reads it devotionally on Wednesday mornings. Tuesday mornings is Greek, but I had that this morning because it's Wednesday. What are you up to in in the Hebrew translation? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're working our way through Exodus. Okay. Uh, And today we were reading Exodus chapter 3, verses 11 to 15. Mm. Great passage in verse 14 when God, you know, says, I am who I am. Mm. And, uh, you know, I don't know what we're going to talk about this. This is great. But in between the I am, who I am, the who, the, the Hebrew word could be who or which or that. So it could be I am which I am. Mm. I am that I am. Or mm. I am who I am. It's pretty profound what it says about God. Yeah. Uh, and what it reveals about him. So it's been really cool yeah. to do it because... You know, you want to keep your languages up while you're mm. here at college. You want to keep your languages up after college, yes. ideally. But a lot of ministers who I've talked to say they don't. Uh, they really struggle. Has that been your experience as well? Yeah, I've heard that. I've heard some people keep it up and some people struggle to. Mm. Like, you know, yes. I'm sure it's very difficult when you're out of college to keep them up. But it's a discipline. It's a habit. I yes. guess that you want to build in early. That's yeah. right. I was thinking about that phrase, I am who I am. Mm. You know, it's kind of like the, it's kind of like God's, it is what it is. (laughs) I am who I am. Yes. Yes. Except probably not. Yeah. Well, you think about it, it's quite profound because when we think about identity markers, right? So I go, you know, Pip, you're, you're a male, you're uh, almost 30 years old, you know, we'll Mm. say what your real age is here on Mm. the pod, right? Uh, You are Anglo-Saxon, you've got blue eyes, you're, you know, a certain height, all these things are descriptions we could the the technical term is predicate to you mm. or really mm. we could say just attribute to you yeah. right pip is this, this. Pip, pip is, is this. this when we talk about god though right god is in a in a league of his own yes you know who is, is he he is who he who is. is that's the idea that that it's saying that nothing can be predicated yes. to god you can't add these features to god like they're parts of him unless you're saying god is Love, <laughs> in which case, well, go for it. Well, it's interesting, actually, in theology, right? And uh, we, we make this distinction uh, between predicating things uh, to, to creatures and actually talking about God's attributes. Mm. And when we talk about God's attributes, we're not saying that, you know, God is loving, although that is true. Mm. We're saying God is love. There's... You know, he is the fullness of love. Mm. And when we say God is good, he is the fullness of God. good. It's not like God is 20% good and maybe 30% love. But then also we say that his love is good and his good is loving. Mm. In other words, he is all of these attributes, mm. not that they're parts of him. Yes. And so that's one of the differences. But in Exodus three fourteen, it's saying, you know, who? how do you talk about who God is? The God is... And can only be compared to himself. Because mm. mm. no one else is like him. Another way of saying this is he is holy. Mm. He is separate. He is set apart. Mm. Anyway, that was my Hebrew translation group this morning. Yeah, and one of the things we try to do is to we have a devotional application at the end. Because we're not just trying to do this 
academically, we're going, well, how does it apply to us? How can we pray about this? How can we thank God for this? And then we go about the rest of our day. Yeah, nice. What a way to start the day. Yes, so, but only once a week. Though. Yeah, sure, sure. <laughs> but you have the Greek one as well. Greek on Tuesday. Do you find you know one easier than the other at the moment? or? I think they're all hard because we have a time limit on how much time we spend on it. Right, okay. So in we're doing Philippians in Greek. Mm. I give everyone 10 minutes. And we basically spend 10 minutes trying to translate it, analyze it. Yep. Then we come back together and share. In Hebrew, today we did was that 11 to 15. That's five verses. And... 10 minutes was not enough time. Yeah, sure. So on one level, you might say Hebrew is, you know, more complicated. Yeah. But I think they're both pretty tricky. Mm. Uh, what I love is that we get to learn from each other and then pray in light of it as mm. well. Yeah, nice. nice. Yeah. That's good. That's good. Um, but that's what my day was like. What did you have today? We had um, two hours of ethics, thinking about uh, marriage, divorce, and remarriage. Um, so it's a pretty heavy day to be honest, like lots of, yeah, like it's a pretty heavy topic thinking about divorce and separation, remarriage. Mm. Um, but it was helpful. So we looked through a doctrine commission report. Oh, I was going to ask if you looked at that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, which I think was more, it was actually more about abuse, domestic violence. Yeah. Um, but that was helpful in that it laid out the... The kind of scriptural, re, the scriptural kind of uh, places to go in the Bible to think through divorce, um, but also just start, started to kind of talk about the ethical reasoning and like how we reason ethically when um, you know the Bible doesn't necessarily speak directly about domestic abuse. Hmm. Um, in relation to marriage and divorce. Mm. So just trying to reason biblically, ethically, theologically about how to think about those two things together. So mm. that was really helpful. Um, mm. Yeah. It sounds like not only is it important theoretically, it's immensely relevant for people, churches, mm. ministry. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Mm. Um, yeah, so... And it, it was a good reminder of like God's um, faithfulness to His people. You know, it talks about um, it's when in Jesus and Matthew talks about adult uh, the grounds of adultery being like the grounds where it's acceptable for divorce to occur. And uh, we talk, you know, the commission talks about abandonment as well. So, so. Um, 1 Corinthians 7. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Desertion that's right. or abandonment. Yeah, that's right, that's right. Mm. But it's interesting in that, like, the Bible's depiction of our relationship with God is one of a marriage in which we, his people, have um, committed adultery, committed idolatry, mm. have forsaken him, like, have disobeyed him, rebelled against him. And yet, mm. so there is, you know, he has a grounds for... Um, uh, for leaving us, I guess, or letting us go, sort of thing. Mm. Um, but he chooses not to, mm. and, he, and he pursues us, and he, and he saves us. Um, yeah. So I don't know. I just, I just think it's a striking thing that, like, you know, human human. There, there is a sense in which the analogy breaks down because mm. in human marriages, there's you've got two sinners trying to do life together. 
Um, but yeah, when you have a sinless God, it's um, yeah, yeah. So I won't go. I won't go too much more into that. But yeah, no. Thanks for sharing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's helpful. Um, now you and I got an email a few weeks ago. Yes, from a listener of yes. the podcast. Um, and I was wondering if you would be willing to read it out loud. Now, listeners, we've gotten permission from the writer to, to, to read this out. Yeah, and this is just a really warm encouragement from, should I say the name? Yeah, I think you can. Yeah. Lucas, Lucas R., who sent us this message. And it's just a very encouraging message to us as we kind of meet week in, week out, um, do this podcast. So, yeah, this is, thank you, Lucas, for this message. He says this. Dear James and Pip, I had to reach out to thank you guys for the work you do each week for your amazing podcast. I'm in year 12 currently and have gone through a lot this year with feelings of loneliness, stress, feelings of feeling all I have is God. A good friend of mine introduced me to the Bible Boys and I absolutely love the podcast. Uh, from the beginning, listening to your podcast has always felt like I'm sitting down with a couple of fellow believers. You guys were good friends to me when I felt a bit like God was the only friend who had time for me. Uh, your, po- your podcast routinely encourages me and reminds me to continue to fight the good fight of faith. I absolutely love spending my Sabbaths getting to know more and more about the amazing character of God, and I not so long ago stumbled across the ideas expressed in Tulip, and I'm quite fond of them. It was when a few friends, uh, a few weeks later, you guys released your episode of The Doctrines of Grace, and I was filled with so much joy and had to express my gratitude to you guys. I always look forward to your weekly discussions and simply want to express my thankfulness of you guys consistently making these episodes. Please continue making them. Love your work, guys. Thanks and God bless, Lucas. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much, Lucas. That's a massive encouragement. And Huge encouragement. Yeah, I'm glad that like the episodes we're doing now around the doctrines of grace are timely as well. Um, and yeah, like there's there's something beautiful about like the technology that we have where. Um, you know, I really love listening to podcasts as well, where I, I feel like I've got a, an avenue, a connection with people, even though I'm not in the conversation. Um, they've kind of produced it so that it's available and there's other avenues of communication. You can email, you can like text in often with podcasts. And so there is, there is something of a relationship there. So that's, that's really good. Um, mm. and so thanks, Lucas, for your encouragement. Yeah. No, thank you so much. And, um, Pip, I, I, I emailed back asking if we could read this out and I got something else that I just wanted to oh, yeah? read in the reply. It said, also, I forgot to mention in the last email, I've missed your guys' frequent posts on Instagram, especially the jokey ones. Oh, I need to bring back the reels. <laughs> yes, okay. Yeah. No, I, a few people have mentioned that. It's, you know, busy. Mm. Things are mm. going on. Yeah, yeah, And, yeah. Um, you know, listeners, if you have ideas, send them through. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I might make some. I think, like, you know, it's uh, pretty low on my priority list. You know? <laughs> and so if if you see me post one, it's because I've got free time. Yes, and there's not a lot of free time. Yeah, that's right. right now. That's right. Yes. Yeah. Anyway, but um, thank you so much. We're going to get into our uh, next part of the Doctrines of Grace. And so we've gotten rid of the tulip order of the last few weeks. Today we're up to the fourth one, but we've been going on the... Old tip. Mm. U L. No, that's not right. Yep. Oh, it is U L. Sorry, I should know this. U L T I P. Today we're up to the I. Yes. Which stands for irresistible grace. Irresistible grace. Mm. Now, before we get into the way the canons of Dort, 
have um, defined it. Mm. Uh, Pip, what do you think of when you hear the words irresistible grace? I think of like an ad for like irresistible chocolate. Yes. You know? Creamy, smooth chocolate. It's so good you can't resist it. Yes. And so it's like God's grace is so good. You, you just can't resist it. Mm. Mm. Yeah, but yes, no, this, yes, yes. this this is more about this is like, um, if I want you to have the chocolate, <laughs> you'll have the chocolate. Yeah, right. Yes, uh-huh. yes, yes. This I is like that. this is like a loving a loving parent mm. with uh, a cure for disease, being like, um, this is this is, you know, I'm I'm your parent. Here's the cure. Yep. Here's the love. You can't resist. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Analogies break down. I love it. No, I love Analogies it. I think, I think it works. I think it works. Yeah. I think it works. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, there's, there's actually quite a bit going on with this doctrine. So a few years ago, there was a book that came out. Have you, have you heard of the word, uh, the, the book named Proof? And I'm not talking about the rapper. <laughs> no. You know what? Let me just quick. Do you want to search this quickly? There was proof, a book, book, proof, proof, doctrines of grace, proof, book, doctrines of grace, and I'll just explain what it is while you're searching it up. So, a few years ago, um, this book came out that was trying to explain the five points of Calvinism, doctrines of grace, and it was called Proof. And the idea was that Proof was their own five-letter acronym. Okay. For is this is this document. finding freedom through the intoxicating joy of irresistible grace? That that's it. Um, yeah, good. So this talk about a long-winded subtitle. <laughs> I was going to like towards a doctrine of yeah, that's right, that's right, irresistible grace. Okay, okay. Um, yeah. But yeah, so proof was their own version of the five points of Calvinism, and they had, you know, the first word P, then R, then O, O, F, and mm. something grace, something grace, something grace, something grace. Mm. Now, just when you Google it, can you find how they said the first one? Well, it was something grace that starts with P which was their version of irresistible grace. Um, planned grace. Planned grace. Planned grace. Okay. Well, God has planned it? We're yes. Talking, we're thinking election, maybe? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Well, here's the thing. These guys, when they went ahead and, and wrote this book, part of the key thing, which you see there in the subtitle, is they want to say irresistible grace is what the five points of Calvinism are all about. Mm. Or the doctrines of grace, you know what they're all about? Canons of Dort, they're all about irresistible grace. The other four, they matter, they're important, they're all about grace, but they're all there to bolster the main idea, which is irresistible grace. Hey, I'm just reading this book summary. Oh, yes, please. And a part of it says, Time magazine recently dubbed Calvinism... As one of the top 10 ideas changing the world yes. right now. This this book was written back in like 2012 or 2013 or something. What was happening in 2013? That Calvinism, not a whole lot of ideas <laughs> in the world at that point. <laughs> not a whole lot of competing well, ideas. And if you remember, from 2006 to 2009, one of the big things that was in uh, editorial media uh, and people watching religion was what was called the YFF movement. Wait, YRR movement. The Young, Restless, and Reformed Movement. Do you remember this? At yes. All? Yeah. Yeah. And some of the key figures here were John Piper and Mark Driscoll and people getting into RC Sproul and Gospel Coalition came. For, anyway, mm. so mm. Colin Hansen, one of the editors of Christianity Today, had written a book about the young, restless, and reformed. And so Calvinism was, the idea was that 
it was having a resurgence. Ah, right. And right, that's why right. Time Magazine then. But can you just search, when was this book published? I think it was 2011, 2012 or something. Yep, so this book was published in 2000, oh, it says 2014. Oh, there you go. Anyway, so around that time. Yep. Yeah. Anyway, um, sorry, was there something else you wanted to say about the summary for the book? No, 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 just that it looks like a fun read. It, it's got this, um, doesn't it look, if I remember, it it's got like, like an orange cover or something. Oh, no, not an orange cover. It's like a circus. Sort yes, of I was going to say, it's like a carnival. That's how I yeah. remember the cover. Anyway, but Irresistible Grace as the core. Now, I, I reckon, you know, I might be wrong about this, but Pip, you guys did um, the Doctrines of Grace at college back in semester one. Mm-hmm. Would you have said from all of that Irresistible Grace was put forward as the thing that is like the apex of the the five points? No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure if there was an apex. I yeah, think every sure. week was just like, all right, another letter. Everyone's like, yes, this is this is right, I, I guess. Like, you know, yeah. 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 There you go. Well, listeners, we're going to go through this now and... I, I don't know if I'd agree that Irresistible Grace is the apex of it, but I think a strong case could be made for it. And hopefully by the end of this episode, you get a sense of why someone would think this. Mm. Sound good? Mm. Let's get into it. Let's define Irresistible Grace as the canons of Dort did. So um, we're going to go to Article 12 okay. uh, under the canons of Dort, third and fourth main points of doctrine. Pip, do you have Article 12 open over there? On the third and fourth points, Article 12 says this, uh, And this is the regeneration so highly celebrated in Scripture and denominated a new creation, a resurrection from the dead, a making alive, which God works in us without our aid. But this is in no wise affected merely by the external preaching of the gospel, by moral persuasion or such a mode of operation, that after God has performed in us his part, it still remains in the power of man to be regenerated or not, to be converted or to continue unconverted. But it is evidently a supernatural work, most powerful and at the same time most delightful, astonishing, mysterious and ineffable, not inferior in efficacy to creation or the resurrection from the dead, as the scripture inspired by the author of this work declares, so that all in whose heart God works in this marvellous manner are certainly, infallibly, and effectually regenerated and do actually believe. Whereupon the will thus renewed is not only actuated and influenced by God, but in consequence of this influence becomes itself active. Wherefore also man is himself rightly said to believe and repent by virtue of that grace received. Now that's a big lot of text there. Oh yeah. I want to hone in on... A section just in the last half, it says this, all in whose heart God works in this marvelous way are certainly, unfailingly, and effectively reborn Mm. and do actually believe. Mm. That's the heart of irresistible grace. Yes. The idea is this, that when God works in someone's heart, they will respond to Jesus. Mm. That's it in short. When God works in someone's heart, they will respond to Jesus. Yeah. I think of it kind of like when Jesus raises the dead, like when he raises Lazarus. Mm. It's not like Lazarus wakes up and says, ah, oh, good thing I played my part in that. Yeah. yeah. It's like <laughs> it was, he was dead. Yes. No 
wasn't doing anything. Yes, wasn't yes, making yes. any decisions. Wasn't wasn't trying to come back alive. Yes. Jesus called him back into existence, back into life. Yes. Yeah. And and also just on that analogy, then it's not as if when Jesus says Lazarus come out, he comes back to life and he goes. No, I think I'm going to stay dead. Mm. And then he goes back and, you know, flops dead. Yeah. No, no, Jesus calls him out. He's alive. He comes out. Yes. That's yeah. the idea yeah. behind it. Yeah. Now, before we talk more about this and look at some passages, let's think about what the opposite might be. And it's worth saying that on this point, you know, in the previous weeks, we've read sort of what the Canons of Daughter are affirming, what these five points of Calvinism are affirming. Mm. And then we've gone, okay, so what might the Articles of Remonstrance be what, what were they reacting against? Sure. Right? So yeah, for yeah. those who remember, this was um, what the Arminians were claiming, um, and, and therefore the Canons of Dort were written against them. Yeah. There are two key aspects to what the Canons of Dort are refuting with irresistible grace. Yeah. So let's go to the, the refutations part. Yeah. Maybe, um, maybe can we just like, oh, quick, yes. quick step back. So yeah, please. Ca- canons of Dort yes. are so-called canons in terms of like the standards or the kind of decisions Set at a dort is a place. Yes. Right. Yes. And the remonstrance, the Arminian document, remonstrance means. What's the definition of remonstrance? You know what? I am blanked on that. Remonstrance. Right you want to on... Listeners with Google, you can find out too. That's right. A forcefully reproachful protest. There you go. A document drawn up in 1610 by the Arminians <laughs> presenting the differences between their doctrines and those of the strict Calvinists. There you go. Mm, interesting, interesting. So a strict protest. Yes, yes. Yes. There you go. There we so go. it's interesting. So the Arminians were reacting. Yes. And so were the, the canons of Dort were also a reaction. Against them. Yeah. So, so you've got Calvinism. The Romanstrants are protesting yeah. Calvinism. The canons of Dort are protesting yeah, stars. it's interesting because the first time I heard about Arminianism and Calvinism was from a Mark Driscoll sermon. Yeah, right. Online, and where he and was he, he shouting at you? He was shouting at me, and I was scared. <laughs> um, but he said that um, you know Arminians came up with this these five points, and the Calvinists respond reacted with five points mm. against. Yes, and he said that's and it, like he had this little side where he said that's not the best way to do theology. Mm. But it's it's interesting just to note that it's. That's not totally accurate. Like they, you know, both sides were reacting yes. against each other continually. Yeah, yeah. No, that's a helpful yeah. point. Yeah. Really helpful. Now, if we take a look at the errors, come with me to paragraph eight. Okay. So there's two things. Um, yeah. So this is the what. Maybe we'll break it up for the sake of simplicity. This is the first big thing that they're trying to push against. Okay. So this is what the Arminians. Would, would affirm. Can you read paragraph 8, the, the thing that is rejected? Yeah, it says this, that God in the regeneration of man does not use such powers of his omnipotence as potently and infallibly bend man's will to faith and conversion, but that all the works of grace having been accomplished, which God employs to convert man, man may yet so resist God and, and the Holy Spirit when God intends man's regeneration and wills to regenerate him. And indeed, that man often does so resist that he prevents entirely his regeneration and that it therefore remains in man's power to be regenerated or not. Mm. So what's the saying here? So you can, so if you're dead in sin uh, and God um, 
presents his grace to you, works on you by his grace, you can still, you have the power, the ability to reject God, Mm. to resist God, and to stay dead. Yes, Mm. that's essentially it. So the opposite of this is resistible grace, Mm. that actually God can call you, regenerate you, draw you, and you can still say, no, I'm going to quench God's work in my life. I'm going to quench the Holy Spirit. I do not want this. And so you resist God's work. Yeah. That is the big thing that it's pushing against. Yes. Um, And, uh, you know, I wonder what verses they would use. Like, if I can somehow find the verses. Because, like, there are some verses that come to mind. mm. Like, do not quench the Holy Spirit. Do not resist, you know... If today you hear his voice, do not harden your harden hearts. Your heart. Yeah, Hebrews 3. Yeah. yeah. So I can kind of sense, all right, I can start to think, okay, maybe there are some verses where they get this idea that God, it's like, um, you know, in a life-saving situation. Mm. One, you know, the lifesaver reaches out their arm, salvation's right there on the table, yes. but it's up to the other person to reach out their arm mm. and to grab hold of that arm. Mm. I guess the Calvinist view is actually, no, God reaches down and just pulls you out of the surf. Mm. Just he, he does the work. He pulls you out. There's nothing you can do about it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and that makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Mm. Um, and it can also, on one level, give you great comfort if, as in this, you know, affirming what the Arminians are saying here, could, you, could give you great comfort if you go, well, I did everything I could mm. to try and convince my friend or my family member of of christianity Mm. and yet they still said no why is that well it's because they said no Mm. Um, as compared to why you might not want to affirm what the canons of daughter saying is well i did everything i could but god didn't draw them by his grace and so it was useless Mm. Mm. you can you can understand that can't you yeah Let's look at two Bible passages. Uh, let's, let's, let's get into some Bible. Let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> We're going to open up to John chapter 6. Pip, could you read John chapter 6, verses 35 to 37? John six thirty-five to 37 says this. It says, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. Jesus is the bread of life. This offer is made to war. Anyone who comes to him will not go hungry. They will never be thirsty. Verse 37. Notice how certain his words are here. All those the Father gives me will come to me. Mm. There is a connection that's being drawn here, which we can make theologically. Who are those that the Father has given to the Son? Well, over the last few weeks, we've seen that God unconditionally elects, and the Son definitely redeems. And so the idea here is that there is a connection between those the Father gives, those the Son, you know, redeems, Well, here, all those who are given to Jesus will come. In other words, they will be drawn to Jesus. It's a certainty, Mm. according to John chapter 6. Let's go to Romans chapter 8. That's another passage. Or do you want to say something here about John 6? Yeah, it's interesting. 
I'm just thinking, like, I'm trying to steal man the yeah. um, Arminian position, right? Look at look down at verse 40, where it says, um, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. And so back to 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me. You could, from an Arminian perspective, you might say, all who the Father gives to me, that is, all who... Um, put their faith by their own kind of volition mm. in, in God and Jesus will come to me and they will never be cast out. Um, could be that that final, you know, raising up in the last day. Mm. They will come to him, if that makes sense. So it's more of an eschatological promise than a, um, you know, all that the Father has will come to me. Maybe that's not talking about conversion, mm. but about resurrection. Mm. Yeah. It's possible. It's possible. But then you need to ask this, right, which is resurrection presupposes conversion. Yeah, yeah. And so then I guess the question is, how does conversion happen? Yeah. You know, um, I, do either verse rule out the Arminian idea that it involves the human um, decision, which can go against God if, if it God's will. Mm. Yeah. 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 No, that's a, it's it's a good point, and in fact, that is part of the second thing that's being rejected, which we might come back to. Okay. In just yeah, a yeah. second. Yeah. 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 So that that's helpful there. Yeah. Uh, let's go to Romans chapter eight, and can you read verses twenty eight to thirty? Romans 8, 28 to 30 says this, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified and those whom he justified, he also glorified. Mm. There's a name that's given to this passage, uh, a nickname. It's called the golden chain of salvation. Because mm. the idea is that there is an inseparable, in, unbreakable link between these concepts, right? Mm. Those God foreknew, he predestined. Those he predestined, he called. Those he called, he justified. Those he justified, he glorified. From start to finish, there is a through line that has its origin in the activity and saving purposes of God. So if God predestines you, you will end up being glorified. That's part of the idea. Um, and Paul's confidence, because remember, the context of Romans 8 is that Paul is speaking to, uh, to encourage those who, in the midst of their suffering in Romans 8. You know, verse 18, I consider that the sufferings of this present age are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. He's giving them comfort in the midst of their suffering. And then in verses 31 to 39, you know, he's trying to go, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Maybe more on that when we do the next, mm. the next mm. um, doctrine of grace. But the point here is that from the predestination to the calling to the justification, there is a link that God's purposes will be fulfilled. Mm. So if God is calling you, you will be justified, according to Romans 8. Yeah. Do you want to steal man this a bit? Maybe how, how might a 
an Armenian uh, respond to that? Yes. <sighs> it's hard. <laughs> this is, yeah, because you're convinced by this. I'm, I'm convinced by this, yeah. Um, I don't know. I guess some people could, you could say, um, those whom he foreknew. And an Armenian might say, what does that mean? Foreknew, foreknew. What? Before someone's created, mm. before someone exists, what's there to know about a person? What's there to know about me if I don't exist? Mm. And so an Armenian might say, well, God knows that I am going to, by my own volition, by my own will, choose to follow him. Mm. And he knows that some are going to reject him by his own and it's those who he foreknows that are going to kind of decide to follow Jesus that he uh, predestines to con- be conformed to the image of the Son. Um, yeah, that's probably how I would, mm. if I was arguing for the Armenian side, how I would probably go. I'd probably tap into what does it mean to foreknow mm. people? Yes. What does God know about them? Yeah, yeah. Mm. So I guess the picture that is is affirmed by this canon of thought, you know, irresistible grace, is that God in his purposes will regenerate people and those people will be his. Mm, That's mm. the idea, right? That they they will come to Christ because of God's work in their life. Um, We'll get to implications later, but at this point, it's important to say that there is a second thing that this this uh, doctrine of grace is trying to, you know, to push against as well. Mm. And so for this, let's go back to the rejections. Okay. Um, And can you read rejection paragraph seven? Okay. Yeah, it says this, that the grace whereby we are converted to God is only a gentle advising, or as others explain it, that this is the noblest manner of working in the conversion of man and that this manner of working, which consists in advising, is most in harmony with man's nature, and that there is no reason why this advising grace alone should not be sufficient to make the natural man spiritual, indeed, that God does not produce the consent of the will except through this manner of advising, and that the power of the divine working, whereby it surpasses the working of Satan, consists in this, that God promises eternal while Satan promises only temporal goods. Hmm. Okay, now, what, what's what's going on here? There's actually a few of these paragraphs that capture the picture. The idea is that God's grace isn't something that overtakes your will. God's grace is something that's just nudging you. Right, yeah. He, he nudges the non-Christian along, mm. and they come to want to be in Jesus, or yeah. reject Jesus. Yeah. So in other and, words, and the way that God God nudges is the promise, like by promising what's yes. eternal. Yes. Um, yeah. Although some of the other paragraphs say there could be other ways that sure, God promises sure, sure. you. Yeah. So this is the concept of prevenient grace. The idea that before you become regenerate, God already is using different things by His grace mm. to nudge you, guide you, prompt you, mm. get you thinking about some things right, already. Right. Um, and that contributes to the picture of then eventually you being able to go, yeah, uh, I do want this. Yeah. I do want Jesus. Yeah. 
to pre-evangelism. Because <laughs> I'm pre-evangelism. He holds a barbecue. <laughs> He holds an Easter event yeah. and asks you to fill out a Connect yeah, card so yeah. that you can come next year or something. Yeah. Right. Moves you along in the pipeline. That's right. That's right. Term two holiday, kids program, yeah. get you along. Push him to the right. <laughs> yeah, we could keep going. Yeah. You know, mission funnel. Right? That's right. God's own El Banto. Yes. Serverless oh database. Oh. Set up a flow. Mm. <laughs> so you got to get them flows yeah, that's going. Right. That's right. <laughs> Oh, oh boy <laughs> as a side note i was in an evangelism meeting at church mm. two weeks ago yeah and they were saying we just need a system to be able to keep track of people <laughs> and i said hey we use elvanto don't we and they said yeah and i said have you met the flows and they said what's the flow no, gotta, gotta get to the flows <laughs> anyway yeah but so if the first thing that irresistible grace is pushing against is that you know if God works in someone, they can resist. No, that's not right. The second thing that irresistible grace is pushing against is that God's grace is is purely a nudging or a prompting or supplementing a person's will and isn't actually something that compels them, overtakes them on mm. one level, completely immerses them. Hands off parenting. <laughs> Hands off parenting. That's right. You do what you want. Yeah, that's right. What about some coloring in? Yes. I'm just saying. Just... All right. Now you're not still manning the opinion. But this is part of the picture of, well, what is it that we actually need? Now, last week we looked at total depravity and we saw that we are dead in sin. There is not one part of us that is not tainted by, by sin. If you're spiritually dead, can you make yourself alive? Mm. Can you want to seek God? Can you make yourself say yes? Mm. That's part of the picture here. And also, can you evaluate the yes and go, yeah, I, I can see the goodness of that, mm. but I, I don't want it. Yeah. And this sort of comes back to the, the thing you brought up with John chapter 6, right? Yeah. This is the question. Can someone who is spiritually dead not need God's overwhelming, complete grace mm. to come to Jesus. Yeah. Just maybe, you know, thinking, putting my Arminian hat on, the death analogy, we're dead in sin. May, could you argue that, okay, that's an analogy, and so we shouldn't use it as a basis for, like, what actually happens in conversion. Mm. So I'll give you an example, right? The... Jesus leads the 99, goes after the one, brings the one back. Now, can a sheep resist the shepherd? Can it run away or can it accept to kind of come back with the shepherd? You might be able to argue, yes, it can. It can decide to just like, you know, buck against the shepherd and run away still. Mm, mm. If, it's a bad she- if it's a bad shepherd who doesn't want to be with the... A bad sheep that doesn't want to be with the shepherd. Mm. So are there, I guess the question is like, are there ana- other analogies that scripture uses for conversion, which backs up the Arminian case a bit more? Mm. Because I think we do, you know, we come back to the death analogy because I think it's the strongest analogy for the Calvinist position, right? Because mm. you can't do anything when you're dead. Yes. But when you're lost, yeah, you can come back and come back to the, the prodigal son, comes back to the father. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, just trying to think about that. Yeah, no, it's helpful. I guess another picture that, for me, 
lends credence to the dead and then alive analogy is Ezekiel 36, thinking about heart of stone being right. replaced with a heart of flesh. Yeah. And in the Old Testament, heart of stone, hard-heartedness, it's not saying that you can't act. It's saying that you are fixed in your rebellion. Right, yeah. That's sort of the idea there. So maybe spiritually dead doesn't mean you can't do anything. It does mean, though, that you are fixed in your rebellion and aren't going to turn mm. to Jesus. Yeah. If, if we're going to talk about what the spiritual meaning of that could be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's helpful. That's helpful. So yeah. the, the overwhelming kind of force of it, if you take all the, you weigh it up, it mm. does seem to point to an inability to for human beings to reach out to God mm. for for salvation, for conversion. It's yeah. the work of God. I, I think so. I think that is right. I mean, the, the picture is, I mean, you know, let, let's get complicated for a second, but it's important, I think. Exodus gives us a very complex picture of the hardening of Pharaoh because Pharaoh is said to be hardened, but he's also said to harden his own heart. Mm, mm. Um, and yet, even in Exodus chapter 10, you know, in Exodus 10, Pharaoh has been hardened and hardens his own heart several times. But the text also tells us in Exodus 10 that his officials were hardened as well. Mm. And yet, in Exodus chapter 10, you see something really interesting. The, the, the officials are, are called to be hardened, and yet they still side with Moses. They right. say, Israel, uh, Egypt is ruined. Yeah. Let him go. Yeah. Which shows, I think, in Exodus that the picture is that hardening, you can have degrees of hardening. Yeah. Right? Where some people are more stubborn, some people are less stubborn. Yeah. But I think the overwhelming thrust, though, like, I think that even though the narrative portrays they still had agency, the thrust is that ultimately they were still against yeah. the purposes is, what, of God. What is the theological middle ground? Like, what is, um, you know, combined Calvinism, Arminianism into Carminianism? <laughs> Carminianism. Because I can imagine someone coming along and be like, look, 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 you're just having these debates because you've got too much time on your hands. It's mm. the 16th century. Netflix hasn't been invented yet. You're just, you're arguing about these things. You're going into them. Um, what about this? Okay. Hardening is both a passive thing, something that happens to you, and an active thing, something that you do. Mm. Why can't we talk about conversion in the same way? That it's both a passive thing mm. and an active thing. You've got the human perspective. So a human looking in would say that's active, they're doing something. The theological kind of broader understanding of how the universe works would might say it's God working in them. But you need both perspectives. The Bible gives us both perspectives. And so let's not rule out talking about choosing Jesus or, or um, let's not rule out um, resisting grace mm. as language that we might want to employ. Yeah. There's something like, you know, likable about <laughs> that kind of easy... The easy, middle way. Yeah. The via media. Ha- happy-go-lucky. Yes. Sort of approach yes, where it's yes, like, yes. all right, let's just, let's just take it all and run with and it. And look, I resonate with that because part of the thing that's important to say, and I think we said this back in week one, that the, the canons of Dort, the doctrines of grace, they're not the full picture. What they're trying to do ultimately is they're trying to clarify the things that were being denied mm, by the remonstrants. Mm, yes, sure, Because sure. of course... Right? And even the cans of we haven't read all of them, um, as in the, uh, the, the, the articles that they give us. They say things like, this doesn't mean you don't need to preach the gospel. Yeah. Because yeah. you need to preach the gospel and people need to respond in repentance and faith. Mm. The mm. question isn't, 
do you have a role to play? Mm. The question is, who, for this point, when God says he's going to save someone, are they going to be saved? Yeah. That's actually where the rubber hits yeah. the road. Because, of course, you know, humanly speaking, when you preach the gospel, someone can say, I don't want that. Mm. And they mm. walk away. Mm. Right? But when God says, I'm going to save someone, are they going to be saved? On the flip side, it's also um, trying to say, well, if God is going to, if, if someone is going to um, say no to, 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 actually, let me change that. If God is going to save someone and someone says I'm saved, who gets the glory? Mm. Who gets the credit? Does someone say, yeah, I'm saved. I did respond in repentance and faith. And I did 1% of the work and God did 99% of the work. Mm. Whereas the picture in scripture is salvation belongs to the Lord. Yeah. That the whole thing from start to finish, I'm not a co-savior with God. God is the only savior. Yeah. That's the thing that's being preserved here. Yeah. And I think that's really important. That makes a lot of sense. I guess there, there's pushback when people say, um, we can't say we're responsible for salvation. And yet we can say we're responsible for sin. Mm. And so it comes back to a free will versus determinist mm. view of our lives, right? Yeah. Um, and that gets really complicated. It does. <laughs> you know, but there is a pastoral thing of, you know, a sense of self, a sense of like, am I really responsible? Am I really in control of my life? Am I, do I really have a, um, a personhood that is, and, and do I have agency in my decision-making? Mm. Um, important questions. And I think not necessarily the questions that the canons of Dort seek to answer. Mm. I think it's helpful to understand the scope of the argument or, mm. the, or the reason for the argument, which I think you have helpfully said. It's about who is the Lord of salvation? Mm. Who is responsible for salvation? Yeah. God. God yeah. is. Um, so I think that's just helpful just to be like, hey, this is not everything. Mm. This is about grace and salvation and yes. who's responsible for saving people. Yeah. It's the Savior. It's Jesus. It's, it's God. Yeah. Yeah. Can I try and draw some of these threads together? Sure. And we'll see. Uh, I've got four things I want to say about why this matters. Yep. And then what I hope is that Maybe for, for you, me, our listeners, we've got a sense of, yeah, I can see why someone would say this is the most important mm, thing. Right? Sure, sure, sure. So the first one is that irresistible grace upholds just how much we needed a savior. You think about it, you go, well, if it actually is not just God nudging me, but God completely transforming me, bringing me back to life, it affirms what was said by total depravity that we are completely unable to save ourselves. Mm. But this is the flip side of that. This is why in the canons of Dort, total depravity and irresistible grace go together because the flip side or the solution to total depravity is irresistible grace, that God has a solution for us. He will come and save you. And he is able to do it. Mm. That brings us to the second thing. So number one, it confirms our condition and need for a complete savior. Number two, it shows us the power and the goodness of God. When God says to us that he's going to do something, he's going to do it. Mm. If, if, if God said, I am electing a people to be saved, and Jesus 
dies for them to be saved, but they go, nah, thanks, but no thanks. What assurance do we have that God's purposes will reach their mm, fruition, yep. reach their completion? And this brings, so, you know, it, again, it affirms the goodness of, of, uh, and power of God. But thirdly, then, it gives us tremendous hope in evangelism. Because you think about this, what it's saying is that when God calls someone, they will come. Mm, mm. I understand the flip side argument that says, well, what if I've tried for years with someone and they're never called and it's because God never called them? I get that. I understand that. This brings us back, though, to what we've said over the last few weeks, which is what makes grace grace is that it is undeserved. Mm. God is not cannot be compelled to... To, to, to call someone. He cannot be compelled to choose someone and save them when we all deserve punishment. Mm. But irresistible grace is saying you can have great confidence in sharing the gospel because you know what's going to happen? When God calls someone, they will come. Mm. Mm. And so it gives you great confidence. But the fourth thing I want to say, and there's more we could say, but like, you know, leaving it to four, I think that what this doctrine actually also does is it shows us the utter majesty and beauty of God. Because what is irresistible? Is it that God overtakes someone's will and then brings them kicking and screaming into the kingdom of God? No, that's not what the canons of Dort are trying to say. What they're actually trying to say is that once someone is made alive, once someone is able to see something of the beauty and the splendor and the glory of God, they will not be able to help themselves mm. but come running to him. Mm. Irresistible grace actually upholds the glory of God and says he is the most good and true and beautiful thing, if I can even say thing, it's, you know, mm. that there is. And someone who is made alive will want that. Mm -hmm. I think that irresistible grace upholds the beauty of God. Yeah, absolutely. The desirability of God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Desiring God, some might Desiring say. Desiring God, yes. 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 Anyway, those are some things that I think would be helpful to say. Do you have any thoughts or questions or things to add about that? No, I think, I think that's, like, this is really helpful. I think, you know, I believe in the um, irresistibility of God's grace. And I think it's been a great it's been a great source of comfort to me, knowing that, yeah, when it comes to salvation, God knows what He's doing and He's in control and He and He's powerful to achieve what He wants to do. Um, that is a great source of comfort, both when reflecting on my own conversion and thinking about other people coming to faith in the future. Um, it is great to know that God is in control. Um, and it, it leads to all sorts of interesting questions, doesn't it, about like the role of the kind of means of grace that God has set up by which we participate in that effort to help people know Jesus, right? Prayer, evangelism, um, the kind of public proclamation of the word of God, all those sorts of things. Mm. Um, but it's a great, it's a vital doctrine to have confidence in that mission yeah mm. yeah so that's i and then when we next come back we'll come to p which is perseverance of the saints mm. um and uh yes there's uh there's a, 
let me tantalize the listeners by saying that the canons of Dort are far more posturally accommodating than many people might think okay. about people who fall away. Right. Okay. Does that, does that whet your appetite as well to <laughs> think about this? I mean... Are you, um, you've got questions? You know, I've got questions. <laughs> so you're saying, so the part, the perseverance of the saints, yes. which is what the, we'll end on in terms yes. of the doctrines of Old grace. tip. Old tip, perseverance of saints is serious business, but it's also pastoral business. It's pastoral in that, in that it's helpful for people. It's, it's, it's real, applies to real life. We need it. I'd say all of these are pastoral, but yeah. Yeah. I think P, some people can think P is a, is a bit of a, um, is a hammer you can hold over people's heads. You know, someone right. leaves church, you go, push. Well, you were never a real Christian in the first place. See you mm, later. Bye. Mm, mm. Um, that's not actually how the canons of Dort articulate it. Mm. Come back next time. Yeah, we'll do. I'll be here. <laughs> <laughs> well, good to know. Good yeah, to yeah, know. Yeah. yeah. That's good. Um, before we finish up with a, with a guess who or a guess which, I, I, I guess I just want to press into yeah, what you were saying about this being personally helpful. I mean, I guess when you're... If you don't mind sharing, yeah, you know, yeah. I share as well. Like, yeah. how often do you find yourself going, "Yeah, I need to remind myself of God's grace." I feel like the good Christian answer would be every moment of every day, mm. right? But for yourself, like these sorts of things can be quite abstract. But yeah. for yourself, what, where do you find yourself going? Yeah, I just need to remind myself of God's grace, um, and consciously trying to think about some of these things as well. Do you understand the question? Yeah, yeah. So, like, what kind of times in life? Yeah. You know, how often do you do it? Yeah. I think when sin becomes, like, immediately apparent to me, when I realize that I've sinned either intentionally or, you know, I've just sinned, um, I am reminded of God's grace. Mm. There's something obviously beautifully distinct about the gospel message compared to all the other messages of the world about Mm. How, what life is all about mm. um, and so knowing the, the character character of God um, I think as well in in ministry like being involved in ministry um, you know I think there's a there's a place for it's it's right to have godly concern for people's salvation godly concern for people's um, conversion uh, they're maturing the faith but if it were up to me solely to convince people of the gospel, I would be distraught. You know, ministry it'd be too it'd be too much to bear. Um, so in ministry, it's a comfort to know that God is in control of salvation. He he invites us to be part, partakers in that work of proclaiming the gospel, but He is the one who gives the growth. He is the one that changes hearts and minds. Mm. So I'd say those, those are two things in when in reflecting on my own personal sin and in reflecting on the kind of goals of ministry. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. No, helpful. Thank you. Um, I think for me, yeah, similar. I think another aspect that has been quite relevant is been thinking about um, efficiency. So... So I resonate with what you're saying about ministry and sin, but also efficiency just in life. 
be it in ministry or just other things. Mm. <coughs> I think that efficiency is a good thing, but I, I see, find myself feeling quite down about lack of efficiency or that I could be using my time elsewhere or this and this and everywhere. Sure. And I, it's, it's been a very interesting thing to go, you know what, from start to finish, uh, God has dealt with me uh, as one of his people. He's dealt with me with grace. Um, on one level, to go, things will be okay. Not in a sense that I don't care about you know, what I do, but just going, God's, God's plan has is, is been enacted. There are more important things than efficiency. I am under grace, and so why would I put myself under, you know, this this burden of trying to work everything for myself again? Mm. In fact, that actually makes me work harder, knowing that even if I'm not the most efficient um, at every moment, that doesn't affect my identity. Mm. Mm. So I've found that, especially with things like college, going, man, I could always be doing more readings, more language work, I could be doing more, you know. But there are things that are more important than efficiency. Mm. Mm. Uh, and grace from start to finish shows us that. Yeah, I actually think that an over-focus on efficiency um, can represent a lack of understanding of grace, but also can cultivate... Um, a suspicion of grace mm-hmm. like these people aren't working as hard as me they don't deserve to get what i get mm-hmm. do, do you know what i mean yeah, by that yeah it's yeah it's like the parable of the people who rock up to work later, oh, yeah. later and later and later but they all still get the same wage yes 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 that's right that's right yes it's interesting i was t- chatting with someone um a while back and they were saying you know there were people in high school who um, you know, I, I would be working so hard and I'd get maybe 95 out of 100. Then there would be people who don't study at all and they get 96 out of 100. And that's just, I hate that. I hate those people. Mm, mm. And I'm going, on one level, I understand, you know, but that's very strong language. Mm. Hate those people, why? Yeah. You know? And uh, part of this idea is that, well, I put the work in, I deserve this, I should be, I understand that. But maybe you don't need to be overwhelmed or overcome by an emotion like yeah. hate for that sort yeah. of thing. Yeah. I understand frustration on that, maybe. On another level, I guess you can kind of... All right, this is not even doctrines of grace now. I mm. think you can mm. go, Father, I thank you that you bless people differently. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Anyway, that's where envy comes from. Envy comes from going, this person didn't, is no better than me, and yet they're getting something that I, I should have or I want. Yeah. I don't like that. Yeah. Grace is a is an antidote to envy. Mm, mm. There you go. There's something there. Yeah. Anyway, comparison just... is a thief of joy. Hey. I like these one-liners. Mm. Anyway, so let's do a guess here or a guess which to finish up. Do you want to ask me something or? Yeah, for sure. I'll I'll ask you. I've got a. What do you want? A guess who? Or a guess let's who? do a guess who. We haven't done a guess who. Okay. For a bit. We've right. got some time. We we're not even at the hour mark yet. Okay. All we're right. almost there. We're like 50 seconds away or something. Um, just give me a okay. little second. All right, think. Let me, let me think about this for a second. Um, I think... Okay, I got it. <laughs> I got it. 
All right. Is this person male? No. Is this person female? Yes. <laughs> well, this person this could have been an angel, you know? So that's why. Ah, uh, yes, no? yes. Um, so female. Uh, is this person in the Old Testament? No. Okay. Uh, does this person first appear in the Gospels? Yes. Okay. Gospels, lady. Is this person Jewish? Ah, uh, yeah. Okay. Does this Presumably, per- yeah. Does this person have a verbal interaction with Jesus? Um, no. Okay, no verbal interaction with Jesus. Does this person... Is this person... In the... Does this person come into the, the physical proximity of Jesus? At any point? Yes. Okay. Um, is this person a prophet? Yes. No. Okay. Is this person someone who... Uh, hmm. <laughs> Does this person? Uh, is this person rel? Oh no! Oh, I've got questions to spare. Mm-hmm. Is this person related to Jesus or his friends? Yes, related to Jesus or his friends. Okay, cool. Um, is this person named? No. Okay, not named. Is this person related to one of Jesus' disciples? Yes. Is this person related to Simon? Yes. Is this person Simon's mother-in-law? Yes! (laughs) Well done. Well done. 13 questions. Yes. Simon's mother-in-law. Simon Peter. Peter's mother-in-law. Which which implies he He was was married. married. Yes. Mm. First Pope was married. A lot of people don't realize that. Listeners, we are joking about the Pope. <laughs> I do not. Just in case you need to. <laughs> another podcast for another day. <laughs> <laughs> I was having, um, hey, how much of a power move is it if you're in a group of people and then you need to tell someone that a comment was sarcastic? Mm. Like, so in a group, someone says something, I always go, Pip, just so you know, that was sarcasm. Just saying. Is yeah, that a power yeah. move? That's, that's a bit of power move, yeah. That's a bit of power move. <laughs> oh, by the way, fun story. I was sitting at... Uh, lunch with Peter Jensen yesterday. Oh, yeah? Former Archbishop, former principal of Moore College, yes. former secretary of GAFCON. Defen- oh, I thought you were going to say defense or something. Defense. <laughs> GAFCON, um, yep. So uh, the, a few nights ago, Michael Jensen, his son, posts on Facebook, uh, does anybody have a copy of this book? I've been looking for it, da-da-da-da-da. And then I see uh, Michael's mother, Christine Jensen, comment, your father has a copy and he's willing to lend it to you. <laughs> Um, and then the next comment goes, um, he'll, he'll hope to bring it tomorrow, but you know what your father is like. Anyway, I'm sitting at the lunch with Peter Jensen and I go, Hey, Peter, do you know what a power move is? And he goes, is it a, is a, is it a dance move? And I said, no, no, no. Oh, you have him as a lecturer right now. Yeah, we do. Yeah. He's very funny. He's very funny. Um, Great storyteller. I go, a power move is when you do something that asserts dominance over another. Mm. He goes, oh, very good. And I said, well, I think that your wife asserted a power move (laughs) over Michael, your son. Yeah. He goes, why is that? And I said, I told him I saw the Facebook post and he said to me, well, I don't have a Facebook account. But last night was the first time I've commented on Facebook using my wife's account. I said, so those two comments were you? He said, that's right. I said, 
wow. And he said, Does that, is that a power move? I said, that's an extra power that's move. That's an extra power move. Wow, wow, wow. <laughs> So I've introduced Peter power Jensen. moves to Peter Jensen. Nice. You know, well, I'll ask him about that next lecture and see how that, <laughs> that fits into ecclesiology. And yeah, yeah. Yes. I heard that he's making fun of the Presbyterians. And the... Oh, yeah, a little bit. A little bit of razzle-dazzle. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> hey, I heard a great power move the other day. What's the power move? What you do is, uh, you know, you find out... Well, pick one of your friends who talks about work a lot. Okay. Find out like where they work uh-huh. and invest in that company, and the next and the next time that they complain about work or talk about work, you just say, "Look, me and the other shareholders are really appreciative of what you're doing." <laughs> Even if it's one share, yeah, you've got yeah, one yeah, share yeah. of the company. Yeah. Me and the other shareholders, we we we're loving the work, the effort that you're putting in. So just keep at it. <laughs> I love it. I love it so much. You should do this. <laughs> I'm sure. To Chris. Yeah, but he works for a public school. Oh, you can't okay. invest. No, in you can't. Yeah. I was going to say, where does Chris work? But I remember he's a teacher now. Yeah, yeah, he doesn't yeah. listen to this, does he? No, I don't. Has he ever it. listened to the Bible before? I doubt it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, really? He gets enough of me during the week. He gets it. <laughs> that's yeah. it. That's it. Yeah. All right. Well, that's it. That's going to do it for us this week. We'll see what we do next week. It's uh, spring break. Yeah, research week. Yeah. Oh, oh is it spring break or research week next week? Spring break next week, then research week. So when's my SAG? End of research week, so we have two more weeks. No way! Yeah, you have two more weeks. Oh, <laughs> that's so good. I didn't, oh, I didn't realize that. Okay, great, great, great. We'll work out what we're doing. Excellent. See you later, bye. See ya, bye.